You're listening to the Love is Black podcast. Where the host of fly. The love is dope. And the conversation's always 100. This week, we're excited to have a special guest. Arena George is an international best-selling author, speaker, facilitator, life coach, and counselor. This Brooklyn native was gifted with the ability to help others in addition to giving back, both inherited from her paternal grandmother. She has worked as a mentor and advocate for youth within her own community, as well as several surrounding communities. Arena holds a bachelor's degree in child advocacy and policy from Montclair State University. She is a wife and a proud mother of two children. Welcome back to the Love is Black podcast. This is Harvey. And I'm Carice. How you guys doing this week? Hope all is well. It's a little bit different this week. We have a person with us. So we're going to talk about some important issues. Arena, please give us a quick bit of info about you. Hello, everyone. My name is Irina George. I'm a mom health educator and child advocate. I am also an author, real estate investor, wife and mother of two, kind of bit of a serial entrepreneur. And I focus on uh, helping women and children with childhood trauma. Beautiful. Wow, That's a lot. You get a lot done. Well done, sister. So with everything that you've done um, in the previous podcast, um, I had talked about a few things about myself and I feel like one particular issue will kind of flow into what you do. Okay. So the last pod we were talking, this was just an opportunity for me and Chris to get to know each other. So we asked each other questions and I had posed the question to her, what did you think my worst childhood memory was? Mm-hmm. And my worst childhood memories when I was about 10, my parents got divorced when they were 10. So typically that's just, they go to court, they hash it out, they do whatever. For me, I had to go into court had to go into the judge's chambers and I had to pretty much tell the judge who I wanted to live with. So I pretty much had to decide and pick a parent. Mm. So for me, that clearly wasn't that much fun. And now that I'm older, I really looked at it and realized it pretty much clouded my judgment in terms of marriage and relationships and such. So that, I don't know if trauma is the right word because it was rough for me, but what do you think something like that would do in a relationship aside from how it affected me? What's your thoughts on that? Um, it is a trauma. Uh, you know, when you were saying that, I'm thinking of my own children, not every marriage is perfect. And so there are a few times in my own marriage where I've gone down the road and I'm like, you know what, I can just pack up and leave. And you, you mentioned divorce to my kids and they're teenagers. They just look at you like, just sit on down. Like you ain't going nowhere. We're not having it because when children are used to something, it is all they know. I'll give you a perfect example. When my daughter was about four, four or five, she's always been very well-spoken. And I remember we were at the laundromat one day and it was a lady in the laundromat. She had her son there and my daughter was playing with her son. And so she stopped playing with the son and then she went down and started having a conversation with the mother. And so my daughter being the person that she is, she asked her, where's your husband now? Being of Caribbean descent, the lady was Caribbean. All I'm thinking is, let me go get this child before (laughs) it's going to go left real quick. So the lady said to her, she said, husband, I don't have a husband. So my daughter said to her, well, then how do you have a baby? Mm. So she did not know. She didn't know. She didn't understand that you could actually 
have children and not be in that relationship with that person. So then I had to have that conversation with her. And so, so children are used to what they know. So any type of change is traumatic for a child. They may not voice it. They'll express it in different ways, depending upon their personality. Some of them go inside of themselves. Some of them become very rambunctious. Um, they, they go from being this really quiet child to being disrespectful, getting into trouble because they don't know how to express what it is that they're feeling. And so imagine now as a parent, you guys are parents. So imagine you saying to your child, you have to pick one of us, knowing that they love you both equally. Maybe they love one of you a little bit more. But <laughs> knowing that they love you both equally, regardless of how you interact in the house, at the end of the day, they love you both equally. So imagine how they would feel if someone said you have to choose between mom or dad. It would be super traumatic for them because they would always feel as if they let the other parent down. They didn't, the other parent is going to feel like maybe they didn't love them more. So there are a lot of things that, that come with that. Not only are you feeling guilty, you know, the parent is also feeling guilty because they're thinking, what did I do wrong for them to pick the other parent? And so th that would be traumatic for me. I, I think it would be traumatic for any child unless there's a situation where there's abuse going on and there's a clear outright who the child should go to and the child understands that. If the child doesn't understand that and the parents are doing just what adults do, it would be traumatic. And this is why transparency is great when it comes to not only relationships with adults, but relationships with your children. I tell my children a lot. And I probably tell my children stuff that back in the day, our parents wouldn't tell us or my parent wouldn't tell me, but it's a, it's a, it's a village in the house. And when we make decisions as adults, as parents, we always have to factor in what's going to happen or how the children are going to react to that. Because if we don't, it's selfish. And then we're not teaching them how to make decisions and having some type of care or empathy about what other people feel then you start raising really selfish children, right. you know? Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's definitely impactful. And you did mention, you didn't mention it today, but he did mention in the, the other episode that he did have that sort of question in his mind about, you know, picking a certain parent, how the other parent may have felt and, and so forth. So definitely seeing the similarities there i would say it's definitely trauma too like you know i, I mean i guess when i hear trauma i i, I imagine abuse physical like real right. bad things but trauma is, is something as simple as what i went through and could be something something much worse something less. well this is a good question yeah. like what kinds of things would you say you've seen as far as commonalities and people you've worked with like what exactly constitutes a childhood trauma so there are different levels and a childhood trauma is whatever has caused trauma to that particular child. Moving could be trauma. Mm. So if you raise a child somewhere and the child is 10, they went to elementary school and, and you know, all of their elementary years in one school, they have you know, the same friends, lived in the same neighborhood, and then you pick up and you say, okay, we're moving. Now, to us as adults, it's like we're moving. It's great for us, it's great for the family. We're looking at it as a great thing so the child, it's their entire life. So you've now picked them up 
and move them out of the only thing, only place, only friends, only people, only school that they know, it's traumatic. So it, it doesn't always have to be physical abuse. When people hear trauma, they think of, like you said, they think of physical abuse. They think of really, really harsh emotional abuse, verbal abuse. And that's not always what it is. It can be very subtle as well, because you have some people that go through experiences and you don't even understand, like emotional abuse can be very subtle, especially when it's coming from a parent to a child, because culturally, depending on how you were raised, some people may look and say, how can you speak to your child like that? How can you say that to your child? You know, and you're thinking it's normal. This, you know, this is what was done to me on the outside looking in just because it was done to you when you feel like it was normal because it was normalized in your world does not mean that it's not a form of abuse or trauma for your child. So it really depends on the child because they are the only ones who can tell their story and tell how a certain situation made them feel. Okay. I like that. Can I ask, in terms of, I guess, children that you've dealt with, is there a, well, probably no kid and nobody responds to any situation exactly the same. Do children of divorce kind of deal with it the same way? What's the typical response? What's the typical way they deal with something as traumatic as divorce? Aside from what I was talking about. Children of divorce typically dislike the parent who initiated the divorce, the, the, the divorce unless there unless the household itself was traumatic and there was some type of physical abuse going on or um, drug abuse or alcohol abuse where the child's common sense kicked in like, okay, I see why you left. I understand why you left. But if the parents make everything look good on the outside, which a lot of parents do, a lot of us do that. We don't want our children worrying or being concerned about what's going on. If the parents make everything look good and the household is great and the kids don't have to worry about anything and they're never seeing the parents get, get into big blowout arguments and then we sit at the dinner table and you guys say, okay, we're going to have, we're getting a divorce. Then it's like, where did that come from? I didn't even know. You guys don't even argue. Like I've heard you guys don't even argue. Why are you getting a divorce? And then you start coming out and explaining all the things that's been going on just between you and your spouse and the kids never saw it, that's devastating. And I think for a lot of kids, or I know for a lot of kids, that is the worst. Just for it to come out of left field and not ever see any type of disagreements happen in everyday reality, real life, that is devastating because then they start feeling like we've been living a lie this entire time. So then it turns into you guys are liars. Kids love to call parents liars. Mm -hmm. You guys are liars. You guys were lying this entire time. You didn't love each other. And even when they find that out, it's still the one who initiated it that gets the most flack. Because it's like, why don't you just stick it out? You did it for all these years. Mm. And, and so- Telling the truth too, in a way. And that yeah, kid's lying. Yeah, you right. are lying. You know? And you get that a lot from teenagers. So younger kids that, that are less vocal, uh, they'll express it in, in ways of, you know, maybe they'll get sad or maybe they'll start crying and they, they don't understand. So it's more explaining, you know, because they want to know how could you go from, we just had a family vacation last week and everything was fine and you guys were hugging and kissing and now you're saying today that we're getting a divorce. You have to really explain, you know, how, and that's, that goes however deep you want to go with your children. Um, you have to really explain to them why that's happening. But with teenagers, they don't care. Te you know, teenagers are kind of selfish anyway. They'll be like, you know what? I'll be 18 in three more years. Stick it out. That, that, 
that's just how teenagers are because that is the way that they're expressing themselves at that time because right. they're teenagers. They're hurt, but the hurt is coming out as you're being selfish. Just say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, I hear that. Well, yeah. how then if it's something that starts out like that, how does that impact then that child now in adulthood, in their own relationships as they go to pursue relationships and so forth? Well, definitely, I would say, and, and I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I love therapy. I tell everybody you should make at least one round to a therapist because it is great for you. So any parent that is going through a situation where just because we're using the, the divorce as an example, but any parent or couple that is going through a situation like that, as soon as you tell your children that divorce is on the table, put them in therapy because they're not going to come to you or your spouse because they don't trust you. So they're not going to tell you how they feel. They're not going to tell you anything that's going on in their world. They're not going to say anything about how they feel about the divorce unless they're just super vocal. If they are super vocal, it's going to come out in anger as opposed to basic adult understanding. So I would say to put them in therapy because what happens is as they get older, they're going to take that example that you gave them and they're just going to go ahead and repeat that in their adult life. So a lot of times you see people who are in relationships who came from a divorce, whether it was a, a child of the divorce, whether it was um, a, a separation or a surprise or not, a lot of times there are trust issues. Um, a, a lot of adults will have trust issues when they get in relationships because it's like, okay, I saw my parents do this. I thought everything was fine, but then it fell apart. And so trust, commitment issues, um, some of, so a lot of them will have very superficial relationships. So it's really great on the surface. It's really great on the surface, but if heavy things start happening, they can't deal with that and they don't want to deal with that. And so they'll just kind of leave that relationship and maybe jump into another one because they haven't dealt with the divorce that their parents had when they were a kid. And so they have to talk through those feelings and those emotions because they're just carrying them. You just carry them. And it makes it really difficult for you to be honest, open, truthful, um, and loving to someone where you really, really don't trust them 100% because you're not really sure if that, that relationship that you're in is going to be your forever relationship. Yeah like waiting for the other shoe to drop you yeah, know right. like everything's going too good mm -hmm. i don't know this probably not gonna right. last and let me right. get out before it gets bad you yeah know, that type of thing i'm not gonna stick around for it yeah you know, not wanting to put the risk out there right so you think about it love in general is kind of putting your heart out there and hoping you don't get hurt but knowing at some point it's gonna happen it's so great. when you have that past that makes it even harder to throw right. your heart out there and hope everything works out it's putting everything out there you have to be super vulnerable in order to truly be in love with another person. You have to be super vulnerable with yourself in order to learn how to love yourself. So then to allow another person in your circle, in your world, into your life, you have to be super vulnerable in order to be in love. And that's why a lot of people cannot be in love. They can love you. I love you. But they cannot be in love because to be in love, you have to go really deep. 
And you also have to love yourself first before you can offer that or open that up to someone else. I love that. That's true. That's I love true. that. Yes. So how does one start to overcome these issues that they have? How do they break down the past traumas and, you know, besides therapy, is there any other steps somebody can take like the listeners, small tips that you have for them that they might be able to use to start to overcome this? So the first thing is if you are not writing, you should start writing. I tell everyone they should start writing. I don't care how good or bad your writing is. It's going to be just for you anyway. Writing is a great way for you to tell the people, person, place, or thing that caused you that trauma, how you feel about them or it without having to say it out of your mouth because a lot of people are not ready. But if you write it down, you're still getting it out. So journaling, it's something that I have always done. I've been a writer since I was small. I've always been writing um, just in journals. I don't know. It's, I think I got that from my grandmother. She used to always make me read. So then I turned it to writing. But um, writing is great. Journaling is great. And it helps until you've gotten to the point where you can start speaking it. And I say that because a lot of times the trauma that you experience as a child comes from people that you love. And a lot of times those people that you love are still in your life. They're still around you. You may still live in their house. You still have a relationship with them. And so because you still have a relationship with them, whether how good, bad, or superficial it is, you don't want to hurt them. Right. And so you can't come out and just say how you're feeling. Or you can't come out and say, when I was five, I remember you did this or you allowed this to happen to me. And this is how I felt about it then. And this is how I feel about it now. Because a lot of people that cause trauma to young kids don't even know that they're doing it. And when they are doing it, they don't know. And, and, and unfortunately, they don't care. Now, you have some people who do know what they're doing, and they still don't care. And those are the hardest ones to actually confront because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they may still be the same person 30 years later. And you can confront them about something that they did to you as a child and they'll just go ahead and dismiss you. Mm -hmm. and, and so a lot of people look for apologies from, from abusers. I tell them not to. The only person that you should apologize to is yourself. And you apologize to yourself just for not knowing, you know, for not knowing and not allowing it. So journaling is the first thing. Um, therapy and journaling to me go hand in hand. Once you do the journaling and you do and you start doing the therapy, then you can start working on number one, loving yourself. Because I feel like if you're sitting in therapy and you're still holding on to trauma, there's there's some things that you still don't love wholeheartedly about yourself. And so you can work through that as you're in therapy. And once you get to the point where you feel great about you, then you can start the confrontations. And the confrontations don't necessarily have to be face to face. Those can be written letters. Those can be a phone call and a voicemail left. A lot of people don't like to get to this point of confrontation because they feel like they have to be in front of the person that abused them, but you don't. You just have to let it out and you have to let them know that you forgive them. And so forgiveness is last. You have to let them know that you forgive them because the forgiveness is for you. It is not for them. They can still be the wickedest person on the planet. But when you forgive them, 
that weight off your shoulders, I'm telling you, I experienced it myself. I had to go through this with my mother. She actually just left my house. But her and I have always had a very tumultuous um, um, relationship. It's a very superficial relationship. If you saw us on the street, you would never know that we've had the issues that we have because she's great at being superficial and I learned it from her. So I'm great at doing it with her. I can't do it with other people though. It's, it's weird. So one day, you know, I was, I was just carrying the anger. When you carry the anger, you cannot progress. It's a very difficult progress and you walk around the life and you're thinking like, why aren't I growing? Why aren't the things that I'm trying to manifest happening? What, what's going on? And so I just sat one day and I was like, okay, I already forgave myself, but there was a block for me. It took me two years to finally say to her, you know what? I forgive you. The hardest words to say ever to someone who has abused you mentally, physically, emotionally. I forgive you. It is, and, it, it, and it's not for them, it's for you. And I cannot tell you, after I did that step, my life completely changed. I didn't care about what was going on in her life. My life completely changed. I actually saw things starting to happen in my life because guess what? Like a week later after that forgiveness, she went right back to treating me how she was always treating me any damn way. And so that's why I say that when you forgive, it has to be for you. So forgiveness is, is the last level of it because, and I put it at the last level. A lot of people say, oh, you should forgive people first and then you move on. No, forgiveness is last because it is the hardest thing to do. And you also have to understand that when you forgive someone, they may turn around and cuss you out, but you have to be strong enough within yourself, the journaling, the therapy, doing the other things that need to be done to say, it's okay. You know, we don't, we don't have to communicate. We don't have to do any of that. I forgive you anyway. And I wish you nothing but abundance and greatness in your life. That is the best feeling. That was a whole word right there. Yes, and I think it's, it's especially hard with Caribbean and or Black mothers to go through some of that. Because I think that there was so much hardening within the culture, um, whether it's, you know, the way our mothers were raised, the way our grandmothers were raised, the way they, you, you go far enough back and people have just become so hardened yes. and they don't have the softness that some of these other races or cultures might have. So, you know, they have more of like a friendly relationship with their children, but we're like, in, in our culture, it seems more like, you know, the kids are the kids, like y'all need to just be yeah. seen adversarial kind of relationship right exactly very very content and they tell you everything everything that's on their mind oh my goodness mm -hmm. you don't look right today what's going on with your hair like yes. why are you why you put on so much weight it's every it's like an attack at every visit mm -hmm. <laughs> it's right. not hey how are you it's hey what have you been eating right my goodness right. is no. that kind of talk kind of traumatic Hmm. Is that kind of the way that parent would talk to you being raised if you, as a child, if everything the parents said kind of felt yeah. like they were jabbing at you, it didn't feel like yeah. constructive, it felt like destructive. Is that yeah. traumatic? It is. Um, because, and, that, and as I said earlier, you don't know that you're doing it because it was done to you, mm -hmm. but you don't realize that you are making your child insecure. So every time that they look at themselves, they're going to be like, okay, this doesn't look right. That doesn't look right. I can't do this. I can't do that. So in their, in their vocabulary is going to be a lot of can't, don't, I don't want to, because you've instilled in them. 
So, you know, if you're doing it to them, they can go ahead and do it to themselves. And you said something really um, important just now, talking about upbringing and culture and how the children should be seen and not heard uh, culture the most dangerous thing ever. How many children were seen and not heard and how many things happened to all of those children who were seen and not heard and they never said anything because no one was listening. And so when you tell your child to be seen and not heard, you tell your child their voice is not important. And so then when they get older, when do, when do, when do they come important enough to be heard? And that's what starts a lot of bickering and arguing when children get older, they get into those teenage years and now they, they have their voice. You have a lot of parents that they're talking back, they're saying this, they're saying that. Well, for the first 12 years, they couldn't talk. Right. So now, you know, they're expressing themselves. My children, I'm raising my children kind of like what you said, where um, they are and have always been able to talk. I, I communicate a lot. So I've been talking to my children since they were in the belly and I allow them to express themselves. I allow them to talk. Um, there are certain levels, but I allow them to be able to talk and express themselves and advocate for themselves because who's going to teach them how to do it when they leave? I think it's, it's really backwards to not allow children to be human beings the entire time they're in your home because they're your children and you own them and then when they're 18 say all right you have to go figure it out how would they figure it out you have not taught them anything you have not given them any communication skills so when when they're out and about they're out in the street when they're away at college how do you expect them to figure it out how do you expect them to speak to others how do you expect them to advocate for themselves what if they have a run-in with the police how do you expect them to communicate does that shutdown work the same way outside the house that it did inside the house? So we have to think about that as parents. And that's why my children have always been able to say what they feel. Now, has it always been a great experience? No, not at all. Wow. My husband cannot stand it. You know, he's from Antigua, very, very West Indian upbringing. He came up here when he was a teenager. So he still has that. You know, I have it too, but I saw what it did to me. Right. We were not allowed to speak. And it damaged a lot, a lot. And it caused a lot of trauma for a lot of people in my generation just because you just couldn't say anything. You weren't important enough. Right. I agree. And then a lot of contention, like you said, during those teenage years, like when I started to talk, it was like, oh, she's talking too much. <laughs> it becomes a problem. Yep. So I want to kind of step back just a little bit because I know you're talking about journaling and how important journaling is and writing. Um, you have a book, What You Took From Me, and it talks about some of the similar dynamics, only it focuses on the mother and son relationship. Yes. So is there sort of a difference or you know, is there a reason why you pick mother-son over father-daughter? Because it seems like a lot of people talk more about that father-daughter childhood trauma relationship. Yes, that's one of the main reasons why I picked it because it is not a topic of discussion. And it's not a topic of discussion because no one wants to hurt their mother's feelings, whether it's a son or a daughter. No one wants to hurt mom. You know, we will make 
every excuse for her. Oh, she didn't know any better. My grandmother was horrible. She didn't teach her anything. You know, my mother was raised in the streets. She was a teenage mom. She did it on her own. Whatever excuse that we want to make for our mothers, we will make those excuses for our mothers because we don't want to hurt them because at the end of the day, they still raised us. I understand that. However, women are marrying men who have mommy issues. We hear a lot about daddy issues. Women have daddy issues. It's like a, a bad thing now for a woman to have daddy issues and it's being blamed on the woman that she has daddy issues. Really weird society, huh? But we don't talk about the men who have mommy issues, who leave their mother's house with all of this baggage, this hate for women, this dislike for women, this distrust for women, and then they come out, they, they, you know, they're just out in society in relationships. The relationships are falling apart. They don't know how to express themselves. You know, moms teach their sons how to relate with women, with girls. That is a mother's job. So when my son, who's a teenager, is acting up and he's talking about girls, I'm like, I don't know where you were raised, but that's definitely not what I, you know, what I've been teaching you. Mm -hmm. So I have to check him sometimes. And that's my job because you shouldn't leave my house with any type of ill feeling towards any woman if I'm raising you right. But if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm in a household and it's not a healthy household, if I'm in unhealthy relationships, if I am doing unhealthy things in front of you, if I abandon you, then where do you get those lessons from? You get them where everyone else gets them, from the streets. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the streets have good, have good lessons, but not when it comes to relation. The, those lessons don't work out. And so for me, the, the mother-son relationship is super important because as a mother, your daughter-in-law is coming for you. She's coming. And she's either going to be the 20-year-old version of you or she's going to be the refined, the mature I've gone to therapy and have changed my life and the ratchetness is on the back burner. It still can come out 40 year old version of you. I don't know about you, but I want my son to bring home the refined version of me. Believe me. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't want him to have to experience any type of negativity when it comes to being in relationships with women. I don't want him to experience any type of abuse because women can be a, a, abusive, not, not, Physically, well, physically, yes, but verbally and emotionally. Women are the best at that. People don't get that. Women are the, that. Oh my gosh. Women are the best at being emotionally and verbally abusive. But when that is coming from your mother's mouth, the same person who carries you in their womb, that damages you. Hearing that, it's, it's good to hear because that's the only guy in here we don't get that kind of support. Typically bad things happen. It's just the guy, it's his fault. He's a man, that's what he does. Right. If I've always said this to her, when it, I'll, the example I use is when it comes to cheating in relationships, in marriages or whatever, when a man cheats it's because he's a man. That's what he does. We're a dog, we go out there. A woman cheats because there's something wrong with the relationship. So right. there's, you, there's an excuse. There's some underlying reasoning for that. Men, we don't get the benefit of that. We right. are just bad in general. That's just right. what we do. That's what my penis is there for. I'm supposed to cheat. But women, she loves him. She didn't want to cheat. He pushed her to it. She had to do it. She had no choice. 
So to hear some adequacy for a man for once is nice <laughs> to hear because we don't get that. We you don't get it. We don't you get it at all. We're bad. We're bad. That's just what it I is. Know. And women are just, <laughs> women when they're bad is because of us. Right. We made you bad. Y'all perfect beings. And if we slipped in, we dropped something and we messed up. But I'm not bitter. Well, I mean, we are damn near perfect. However, <laughs> exactly. You, you're absolutely right. Um, no one thinks of a man as being an emotional being. And when he is an emotional being, we call him a bit real quick mm -hmm. when he's emotional. And it's unfair. And it's a societal thing. And it's something that we picked up and we never take a look at that. We don't know if he cheated because he, don't, he, he doesn't trust women. You know how many people, and this is men and women, you know how many people are in relationships with other people and they don't trust themselves, let alone the person that they're in a relationship with? If you don't trust yourself, within yourself, to even be yourself, but you're in a relationship with someone else and you're verbally telling that person that you love them, you trust them, you want to be with them, but you 100% don't even know what trust looks like and what it feels like. There are millions of people out here that are in relationships like that. Millions of people out here that are walking around like that. And so for men, it's, it, the, it's difficult for them to express that verbally. You know, they'll curse a woman out in a minute. They'll tell her, oh, you know, all types of things about her in a minute to make her feel bad about herself. But that's only because they did not learn how to express, listen, I don't know what to do here. You know, I know I feel how I feel about you. I know I want to be with you, but there is a wall that I cannot get past. And I'm trying to figure out what that wall is. And the only way for a man to really figure that out is for him to go into himself. You really have to take a look at what, what, what was going on when I was growing up? Like, what did happen? Did something happen to me? You know, maybe I should talk to someone. Maybe I should talk to my mother. You know, so a lot of men don't go down that road because it's a long road. It's a long journey. And like I said, you have to confront mom. No one wants to confront mom. No, that's tough. So it's, it's, dad, we get, we get all of those. We get oh, all yeah. back. Run up on dad anytime. Mama is yeah. not ivory tower untouched. Right? Dad, yeah, no. yeah. No, I know. It's, it's heavy. I know. It's, it's, it's definitely heavy. And so in that book, in my book, um, What You Took From Me, it's, a husband who is most of the book is him at therapy who he was forced to go through his wife had to force him to go to therapy but it was him at therapy kind of walking the therapist through his life and through his relationships and what's currently going on with him and his wife and in their relationship and he discovers through that how the relationship between his mother who abandoned him um, has caused him to be how he is it how it caused him to choose the women that he had been choosing in his life the entire time and why it's now causing him to be insecure in his marriage when he's with someone who loves him to death but he's so insecure within the marriage and the insecurity breeds jealousy and and other things you know and so it's it's important we see that a lot we just don't talk about it i agree definitely important 100 percent so healing from these childhood traumas, how can that impact the trajectory or, you know, impact just overall future relationships? 
Well, any type of healing is great. I mean, it renews you. It's like doing a juice cleanse and how it rejuvenates your cells. When you heal, you become a different person. I'll give you a perfect example. I did a workshop on childhood trauma. This was about three years ago. And there was a young lady there. She was about 23. And her mom suffers from mental illness. And so her entire life was just traumatic. She said to me after the workshop that she was scared to see a therapist and start doing the work because she did not know what her life was going to be like once she healed. She was so used to what her life was and so used to living within the, the trauma, living with everything that her mom had put her through that to, to heal it meant to start over. And so that's what healing does for you. It allows you to start anew. And that may mean people, places, and things may change. That may mean a divorce. That may mean the relationship with your child is different. That may mean you don't have the same friends anymore. It's a cleansing. It, it's a process and it is a cleansing. And when you cleanse, you get to start from scratch. You get to be a, a new you. You don't have to look back or wonder or think or worry about if what you experienced prior to healing is going to you know, kind of rear its ugly head in your future because you put all of that to rest. And that's why I said forgiving yourself and forgiving the other person is super important. You cannot move forward without forgiveness. And so once you, once you do that part, you can then move forward and be confident and be secure in your relationships and not worry about if it doesn't work out, was it you? You know, what, was it something that you said, something that you did? Did they not love you? Because these are a lot of things that we ask when relationships don't work out and we just don't realize that that comes from somewhere. It comes from us thinking, you know, well, did my parents get divorced? Was it me? Did they not love me enough to stay together? And so in your adult life, when the relationship falls apart, it's like, okay, what did I do now? But once you heal, you realize that it's not what did I do? It's what did we do that this didn't work out or this could not work out? So it's less blame on yourself. It's actually kind of walking in a world where you can face reality and not feel guilty about who you are. So it's it's a it's a whole renewal. It's it's a it's a it's a renewal. It's a new start and it's it's an amazing feeling. It's an amazing feeling. But I'm not gonna front. It's a long road. It's a long rocky road to get to that amazing feeling. It is not easy. It's years and years of, of therapy. It's years and years of cleaning out. It's like your mind is 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 like a hoarder's house. And say you're 30 years old and you've been carrying trauma from when you were young and then you became an adult. And because of that trauma, you made certain decisions that weren't good, happy or healthy for you. So you just added more trauma onto that trauma. So that compound effect, now you want to clean it out. So now you have to go and take out each layer and remove each layer and work on each layer. And that takes time until you really kind of get back to that innocence because when you experience trauma, that innocence is taken away from you. You know, you ever see a, a, a baby, they're so, they're laughing, they're happy kids, they're just happy. Yeah. And as they get older, it's like they get jaded. Something happens and they change. And everyone's like, my gosh, what happened? Like, you know, what, what happened? And I used to work in education 
And a lot of times the teachers would always say to the students, and I worked in an alternative setting, so we dealt with a lot of mental health. And so the teachers would always say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And when they would come to my groups and we would have our one-on-ones, I would always say, what happened to you? Wow. And they would just sit there. And I'd say, okay, when you're ready to talk, you know, we can talk. Because I don't want to assume that something is wrong with you, right. but I know that something happened to you. Because everyone comes from this place of innocence. We are just born innocent and things change us. And so when you, when you heal, it's really kind of going back to that place of innocence of just being who you are, being that human being. It's like a rebirth. I like that. I wow. like that. Wow. I like that a lot. Yes. We had a conversation in a previous episode about the idea of closure. Mm-hmm. What I am hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that at the end of a relationship, instead of seeking closure, I guess, with that other person and trying to figure out what went wrong with them, mm-hmm. perhaps it's better to invest that time in working on yourself and figuring out how you even got there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when a relationship falls apart, it's not just that one person. Now that one person may be reacting and that reaction may be what everyone can see. So let's say cheating. That one person may be cheating and everyone, oh my God, they cheated. Oh my God. But the two people in that relationship know what's going on in that relationship. They may not be communicating it. They may not be, you know, sharing with each other, but something is broken. And so something that I've always done, and I I implore other people to do this as well, if a relationship doesn't work out, you don't jump into another relationship and just be like, you know what, ah, he was a fool, or ah, she was crazy, or no, 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 no. You take the time, you sit back, and you kind of look at the relationship. I, you know, I look in my brain like a book. You know, you look at the relationship and you pick out where you did wrong, where you kind of closed your eyes to red flags, where you kind of allowed things to happen that you should not have, have allowed to happen. And then they metastasize and now the relationship is, is, is over. So you have to look at the things that you brought to the table because those things that you brought to the table didn't allow everyone to eat. So you don't want to go ahead and package that same thing up and take it into the next relationship. Right. So you always have to look at you because whatever you allowed, whatever went on in that relationship, the other person is only reacting to what your action was. There's always an action and a reaction, always in any relationship. It can be words, you know? Someone's always reacting. Perfect example. You have some people who are so used to, and this is for men, and this is very important for me to say, a lot of times when we deal with men, some women will say like, he's not listening. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't do anything. I ask him to do this. He doesn't do it. But when you yell at him or when you start to berate him, he will move his ass. Then he'll start doing something. When you start hurting his feelings, when you start talking about divorce, when you start being aggressive towards him, then he'll do the thing that you asked him to do. But He's not acting on it because he wants to do it. He's reacting to the trauma that he's used to. So he's not used to me asking, okay, can you take out the garbage? And that's it. He's used to, to, he's used to you 
or he's used to being saying, take out the garbage, take it out, take it out. I want you to take out the garbage now. So the aggressiveness is what he's used to. And so a lot of women are like, why do I always have to yell at you in order for you to do something? It's all he knows. It is all he knows. And because it's all he knows, that is why he will react to it. It's not an action. It's a reaction. So that may come from some of these Caribbean mothers or, you know, mothers in general mm -hmm. who are just a little bit more great. Like you got to yell to get your kid right. to get up. So now right. that young man who you had to yell at to go and clean his room or whatever is now going to be the husband in a relationship where that wife- That you have to yell at, right. Yeah. And it's never a question. So can you do this? Can you get the, get the oil changed in the car? Can you, and they'll be like, all right, yeah, babe, I'll take care of it. Two, four, five, ten days ago by, babe, I still see the lights on in the car. Did you get the oil changed in the car? No, I didn't do it yet. Okay, now she's upset. And so because she has become upset, it's no longer, babe, can you? Now it's, I'm not playing with you. Get the oil change. If you don't get the oil change, I'm going to take it to a mechanic to get the oil change. And he can go ahead and take care of it for me. See, that's the difference. Not only am I now telling you what to do, I'm also telling you that I'm going to take it to another man to do it because you cannot. So now he's going to react. The oil will be changed within 48 hours. Right. And that's because you grow up with get out the bed, take out the garbage, get your behind dress, wash the clothes, clean the house. There's never a question. I'm telling you what to do. Not only am I telling you, I'm demanding it from you. Do it now. Yeah. And so how was he supposed to learn? Who teaches him when he leaves the house how to be asked to do something nicely? Who, who taught him that? No one. And so it, it's really weird. It's really weird because you have a lot of men who will say women are aggressive, mm -hmm. but then you have a lot of men who do not react unless they have an aggressive woman. She could be the nicest woman in the world. He, mm -mm, I couldn't be with her. I can't, mm, I couldn't stay with her. She was so sweet, but you know, it just wouldn't work out. But then they get an aggressive woman and it's like, I don't know what it is. I'm in love with this one though. <laughs> and everyone around them is like, yo, she is. <laughs> we was on the phone. Did I just tell her, I just hear her yell and tell me to wash the damn dishes. You've been asking, what you doing? I'm washing the dishes. Yup, you, you just heard her yell. You just heard her yell. And I'm about to get off this phone because I'm going to go wash these dishes. Wow. They people like that. And you're like, why are they with? Okay, uh, whatever, whatever you like, yeah. you like. They don't realize that that is a part of their trauma. They just don't realize it. That makes sense. Off of that, do, so let's take men who've grown up in that kind of situation, who weren't, you know, asked to do things, but demanded or forced to do things. Mm -hmm. Do men who grew up in that situation attract women who were raised to treat men that way? Do, yeah. Is there something that we exude that women, that that's where I was raised, women who were raised there, we see that that man is going to respond to that. Can I exude that energy? Yes. pheromones pop out and women's like, oh, that's <laughs> Yes. And you have absolutely no clue why. Absolutely no clue why, but it's what you love. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because sometimes opposites attract. My husband is very laid back. He's very quiet. Very quiet. People often wonder, how is he so quiet 
and I'm always out and about and I'm always doing something and I'm very outspoken. And I'm like, number one, he's quiet when he's outside with you guys. He's a different person in the house. That's number one. <laughs> number two, we balance, right? So there, there needs to have some, there, there needs to be some balance in a relationship. But also number three, I remind him of his aunt who raised him. And I met his aunt, so I know that I do. And he's told me that. And so we are attracted to, men are attracted to the women who raise them. They don't realize it. They don't realize it. They can be in very toxic relationships and they will not realize that they're staying in this relationship because it feels like home. I heard a man say that. I was watching a show, this was years ago. And uh, she kept asking him, like, you know, why, why are you with her? Why do you stay? It, it can't be the children. Why are you with her? And he said, it feels like home. And it, men do not realize it because they're men. And they feel like I'm a man. You know, this can't happen to me. This can't be happening to me. I can't be getting emotionally abused or verbally abused. Verbally abused? What the hell is that? This is regular. It, it, it is abuse. But because it's been so normalized for them, you know, in their household, their aunties, their, their, the grandmother, every, all the women in the neighborhood, you know, they were all the same. It is what they were raised around. And so they get in different situations and they're like, yeah, I don't like this. I don't like this. They feel like they need to be with that, that woman that raised them or those women that raised them. And it becomes comfortable for them. And they may be arguing, fussing, and fighting. It is so comfortable. It is so like home to them. That's interesting. So how do you change that energy? How can you get to a space where you are now attracting something different? You have to change your energy. And you have to realize that what you experienced was not normal. What you experienced as a child was not what children should experience, right? Your mother shouldn't be calling you dumb and kicking you down the stairs and you're you know, every time you go over to your auntie house, Uncle Henry, Peter, Paul, Frank, it shouldn't be a different uncle every six months. You know, it, so you have to realize that those things were not right. And you cannot base your adult experiences on the experiences that you had growing up. And that goes right back to healing. It goes right back. And it doesn't have to be a super violent trauma, but it does have to do with healing. You have to say to yourself, like, something wasn't right. Like, something's not right. That is not normal. You know, it's something that I had to do. I used to be, like, when I was a teenager, like, the way I grew up was kind of, that, that wasn't normal. Like, it, and a lot of times it happens during the teenage years, if you're paying attention. I was a very observant child, so I was a very observant teenager. And I had friends who lived a different life and grew up different from me. So when I would go to their house and be around their family, I'm like, wow, I don't think what I experienced was the norm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I started kind of looking at things like, hmm. And then when you go to different areas and you move to different places and you see people who are happy in relationships and they're not arguing in the street, you're like, hmm, maybe that oh, okay, this, so this is what this looks like. Oh, yeah, I like this. Now, you like that, but how do you get to that? Right. It's like reparenting. I don't know if you guys, have you ever heard of that phrase, reparenting? Oh. So it's basically taking everything that you were taught when you were being raised from a parent who wasn't a great parent and reprogramming your brain. 
so that you don't repeat it with your children. And so it's like doing the same thing with your childhood. Picking out everything like, okay, wow, my mother did this, did that, my aunts, my, my brothers, even if the father was there, like this wasn't normal. It's taking those experiences and turning them around and saying, okay, I don't want it to look like that. I want it to look like this. And even if you did not have a model, you still as a person know what you want and what you don't want. I, I didn't have models when I was growing up. I think the, the only marriage that I saw work was my aunts and my uncles and they're in their seventies right now and they are still married. It was the only marriage that I saw work. I did not see any other marriages work. And so I didn't have models, but what I did was I took everything that I did not want to experience in my life in my relationships and in my marriage, I took all of those and flipped it and was like, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm gonna do the opposite. Now, I don't know what the opposite looks like and I don't know what the opposite feels like, but it has to be better than what I saw. True. Listening to you, it, it's obvious that you're self-aware and you're really comfortable with yourself and that's because you've dealt with your experiences, you dealt with life and then you pass that on to your kids. Right. It also seems like because of that, you're very many faceted women. So obviously you're an entrepreneur, you're a mom, you're doing all this, you're an author. So obviously my wife mentioned one book that you wrote, but you have another one that came out more recently. So you yeah. want to give us, talk to us about that one and about the other things that are going on as we wind down. Tell us what's happened yeah. since you kind of opened up and blossomed into so much more. Yes. Yeah, so my new book is called Cousin. This book is... Um, a book that I have been writing for over five years. And if you're a writer, then you know, you write something, you reread it, you hate it, you write it over again. And ah. then read it. Yeah, and then you read it and you're like, oh my God, I'm gonna change this character and you write it over again. And so it's just been an in and out of me writing this book. And also some type of fear of how it would be received. It's a very, it's a very erotic book and it's a very taboo topic in the book when it comes to relationships. And it's also about family secrets. Anything that I write is going to be about family because I, I just believe, especially in communities of color, we carry a lot of secrets. We keep a lot of secrets just because we don't want to hurt each other. We don't want to hurt our communities, our children, whomever, right? Our family. And so for me, family secrets are heavy. They can be secrets that are great. There's some secrets that I didn't tell you because I didn't want to ruin your life type secrets. And then there are some secrets that are, I didn't tell you because I was ashamed or I didn't tell you because it wasn't going to be healthy for you if you knew, you know? And so in, in this book, it's, it's very sexual, it's very sensual, but it, it does kind of co-mingle into family relationships and how sometimes secrets can lead to other things in families. And so I'm excited about it. I love the book. Every time I read it, I, I feel like I've never read it before. Um, but we are on tomorrow, the 28th, we are going to be having myself and Corey Nicole, we're going to have a kind of bedroom candy slash reading of um, some of the books. So it's going to be a very grown and sexy night. I am excited. Bring your wife. Don't bring your mistress. <laughs> they might see each other. So, wow. you know, choose who you want to bring, but don't bring both. 
And okay. so it's, it's going to be a, a real fun night. It's going to be really fun. I'm going to be reading some ex excerpts from the book. We're going to have games, raffles, um, giveaways and stuff like that. Some books will be given away and we're going to have some um, bedroom candy products that are going to be given away. So it's going to be really, really, really fun. It's not something that I've ever done before with any of my books. So I'm excited to do it. It's going to be really fun. So it's going to be tomorrow the 28th at 9 p.m. Fantastic. That sounds good. And we'll put some links into our uh, show notes for all of you listeners. However, oh, right and it's free. Oh, oh, there we go. Free. Done. Friday. Go find free. the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Get your drink together. All you have to do is BYOB. That's all you got to do. Nice. Awesome. So, how can people keep up with you? Is there anywhere they can follow you? If you want to give some social media hand tags and handles or. Sure. So I am Irina George across the board. I only have Instagram and Facebook. So you can find me at Irina George, E-R-E-E-N-A, last name George, spelled phonetically on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then you can also visit my author page on Amazon where you can see my other books as well. And also that's under Irina George. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you. I learned so much today. Me I too. think this is possibly one of our better episodes. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you, guys. This is a great conversation. I love talking about stuff like this. Yeah, me, no, I didn't think I would, but because this is, <laughs> for me, it's a salty little subject because, you yeah, know, yeah. like anybody else, I've got my not demons, but stuff. Of course, like we all but do. Talk about it. It was kind of calming and it kind of, I can look into my life and see how decisions, things that I've done really had a lot to do with something that I didn't think was such a big deal, but it really, really was. Right. But isn't it insightful, though? It's like when, when someone says something and you think about it, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you got to hear it from a different voice. You know, sometimes exactly. somebody else needs to say it. So right. nothing it's, it's else. like children. Yeah. It's like it's children, you know. Yeah. They don't yeah. listen to their parents, but let's let a stranger say stitch it behind them. And they're like, oh, okay, let me sit. Yes. <laughs> it's like the teachers all the time are like, oh, your child's so wonderful. Uh -huh. Behave so well, so mm -hmm. quiet. I'm mm -hmm. like, what child? Nope. Like, that's not my child. That's you got the wrong mother. Nope. Right. <laughs> right. Like, you must have sent an email and it went to the wrong one. I don't think I was supposed uh, to that's be not my kid. on this. My group. kid's yelling right now. I can't exactly. read the email. <laughs> <laughs> That's our kids. <laughs> Wait till they become teenagers. Yeah. Oh, we already got two. And the third one thinks she's 30 already. Oh, trust oh. me. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, so y'all in the thick of it. Yeah, so we, yeah. Y'all like me. Y'all in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Rita, yeah, thank right, you right, so right. much for coming through. We really, really appreciate thank it. You. And hopefully we get to do it again if you want. To. Thank you guys for having me. I, I would love to. Just, you know, hit me up and we can definitely do it again. Awesome. Well, I think, baby, we've definitely learned that love is impactful. Love is many things. But this good love is black. Thanks for listening to the Love is Black podcast. Please help support the podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. And connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Love is Black Podcast. See you next week.